0: We acknowledge the original owners of the land on which we podcast, whose stories were told for thousands of years. Today, we are recording in Mianjin. We pay our respects to elders past and present who may be listening. Sovereignty was never ceded. A quick note before we get started that there may be some swearing in today's podcast. If you don't like swearing or usually listen with children in the car, you have been warned. You're listening to What in the NDIS Now, a podcast where I, Hannah Redford, and my friend, Sam Rosenbaum, interview participants and providers about all things NDIS. Hello, we're back.
1: Hey, Hannah, how you going?
0: Good, good, good. That's good. So today we have the awesome Tina.
1: From Diva Tea.
0: Hi Tina. Hey guys, how are you going?
1: Going well, thanks. Yourself?
2: Yeah, I'm good, thank you. That's
1: good. It's a nice sunny day today. It's beautiful. Great day for recording an (laughs) aircon. Yes,
0: (laughs) yes it is. So how did you get into the disability sector?
2: So I got into the disability sector when I was roughly 16 um, and how I got into it, my older sister, so I... Um, have a huge family. There's six six children. And my older sister, um, we went for a holiday to WA um, and she said to me, Tian, do you want to earn some money? And I was like, I was 16, so I was like, okay, that sounds, you know, that sounds good. What do I have to do? And she's like, oh, it's working in a cell home. And I was like, "What's what's that? I don't know what that is. And she's like I go in and I care for a lady that's um, got a disability. And I mean, I was 16. I was thinking, oh god, can I I said to her, "Can I do that?" <laughs> like, you know, is that something a 16-year-old can do? Um and she's like, "Yeah, you'll be amazing at it. It's you know, you're very mummy-like, you know, you you care." Um and you know, growing up in a big family, it's very natural to you know, we all look after each other, but I was very, very nervous.
1: Yeah. It's a bit of a difference doing it from your family and your own sort of personal circumstances versus doing someone completely new and that you've never met before.
2: Yeah. And, um, just the fear of the unknown, I guess as well. Um, not knowing, you know, if, if I knew now what, I've learnt all these years, um, I probably wouldn't have jumped into it like I did <laughs> <laughs> um, because there were so many things that could have gone wrong, you know, and lack of knowledge that I had around a disability, around transferring, um, or just around mobility. I went to that shift and it was the best thing I ever did because it was just I felt, okay, this is what I'm meant to do like it there was so much love there was so much my heart just felt so content it was just and I didn't go back to school I pretty much left school I stayed in WA for 12 months um, because I couldn't get a blue and yellow card in Queensland um, back then because it I was under 18 and in WA you could do all that so That's pretty much why I stayed in WA Um, and I worked for her until I was 18. Um, And then I come back to Rockhampton and that's where I started working for Multicap and Cerebral Palsy. And in that time, I did multiple different things. I ran a mobile support team, which was mainly focused at night, which I thought was really cool. I loved it. Um, it, You know, it was such a different concept. Um, You know, it was, we did half an hour to two hour intervals um, and we would go into participants home, we'd help them with showering or we'd help them with taking their meds, but it was Gave them that opportunity to stay at home longer. And this was way before NDIS started. Um, So this was really quite an exciting um, concept because I remember as a kid, I lived probably about four houses down from a huge institution. Um, And back then, obviously, I didn't know what it was. But it was like huge fences with like the tiny peephole that would open up and close And they would have a buzzer so um, when they got mail, the mailman would buzz, someone would come to the fence, grab their packages and then, yeah. So for me to be able to work with participants to stay in their own home, this was really exciting to us.
0: So you did that and you were hooked on working (laughs) with people with disabilities Um, and then you got to Brisbane. Um, What did you do once you got to Brisbane?
2: So once I got to Brisbane, I worked for a small, small organisation and it was very, very small in Redlands. Um, They only had four participants and, but in that time, the lady that owned it, her name was Liz. I will never forget her because she just, there was so much love and compassion that she had for each and every client and I've always had this dream of starting my own own thing. I always wanted a farm with heaps of animals. That's what I wanted to do. So when I met this lady, Liz, she inspired me. She inspired me so much more and just, you know, like everything was about the clients, everything. Like she... We'd take them shopping and she would, you know, it was just so different from such a big organisation and it was really the turning point for me and, you know, I did go on to work for the drive because I lived on the north side so I was driving 45 minutes to get to work so the drive was killing me. So I did end up leaving Liz um, and her small organisation and I started with DSQ Mm -hmm. and... I really had this huge, you know, like coming from a small country town, we had DSQ and that was kind of like all the DSQ um, workers, every other organisation got looked down from them because they were so, you know, well-trained. They, you know, apparently got paid. mentality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just like, you know, they were so much better than us. Um, We're big, so we're better. Yeah. So when I got offered the job at DSQ... I thought, okay, this is going to be, you know, I felt like I made it in my career. You know, a small country girl, I'd come, I'd I'd achieved everything that I wanted to achieve. But when I got there and coming from that small organisation where there was just so much love and compassion and choice and and then going to DSQ, it was just so different and it, it really hit home for me that it's not
0: where I wanted to be. Absolutely. I can understand that. You found a passion in particularly working with children. Was that through working at DSQ? No, um, that wasn't working
2: with DSQ. That was, I had my own little boy and it was like, because all the other organisations that I worked for, um, everyone stayed away from children. There was like this almost fear around working with kids but when I had my own little boy, it was just—I don't know. Like it just there was just this. I want to help children. I—I I can't explain it. Like it was just I was drawn to children. And when I started DVT, um, that's really where my passion wanted to be with children with high needs. Um, and I remember going and getting. A bed off marketplace, um, disability bed, and her daughter had a disability, and she was beautiful, like a beautiful little girl, and her mum actually offered me a job, um, working with her. So she was my first client that I worked with, a child, and I just felt like that's where I, my heart just felt like that's where I needed to be, and that's where I can't. The passion has grown with DVT, with children, because my it's just where I feel like my heart is.
1: Yeah, we talk a lot in the industry about niches and, and specialising in one element, and you've definitely taken that and focused very much on supporting kids and excelling at that quite a lot, which is fantastic to see.
2: And they're so fun. Kids are so fun. What I love about working with kids is there's no, there's no nastiness, there's no... They don't mean to be or do things on purpose or, yeah. you know. Kids
0: tend to say it like it is. Yeah. And so you know exactly where you stand with kids and there's n- no questioning, you know, are they happy or not because they will tell you.
1: And show it. <laughs>
0: yeah. So I, yeah, I I understand that absolutely. I think... Um, Another awesome thing about what you're talking about is particularly high needs kids, mm. um, and I think we've talked about previously that you're able to do like peg feeding and transfers, and um, so do you want to talk about some of and and behaviours? <laughs> do you want to talk about some of that sort of stuff?
2: Yeah, so. Coming from DSQ, obviously, um, many, many years of peg feeding, behaviour management, your catheters, your stomas, that's where my passion is. Um, I love and, you know, not everyone is suited to those high care needs, but I love doing it. Um, And I have a really good, I'm not a nurse, but I have a really good understanding. I've been trained by some of the top nurses Um, so there's not a lot of medical stuff that I don't understand I do a lot of our children's that have our peg feeding catheter care all that sort of thing Um, we do have an RN that trains our staffs as well but also they go through a training process with me and if I don't feel comfortable with them I I stay like there's still clients that I have once a month that come in um, that I look after. So behaviour is a a big thing. With a lot of our children, we do get, you know, autism, level three, that do have the behaviour support plans in place. And I think with me, because I've been in the industry so long and I can explain to staff, have that understanding around the support plan, um, the behaviour support plan and what we need to implement. And, you know, I'm really good at looking outside the box and that's what a lot of our children need with behaviour support plans. They need, we need to think outside the box. So that's something that I'm really good at doing. And it's also about supporting our families too. It's a huge thing because without our families and supporting them, most of our children only have if they're lucky, six hours a day, mm. if they're lucky. And the rest of the time, our families, and we see this all the time, our families are getting extreme burnout because they're just not feeling supported enough. So when we take on our children, it's not only about our children, it they pay, play a huge part of our process, but it's also our families and how best can we support them to maintain not only the behaviour support plan but, you know, day-to-day livings and on top of that working a job and keeping the family running.
0: Yeah, when we, we look at our situations, we look at everything. It is really hard to get funding for children and it is very frustrating as a support coordinator to feel like you're hitting your head against that wall of the NDIA and just go, yes, just because they're a child. This is not all parental responsibility and it is it is really, really frustrating. And we do talk about <laughs> this a fair bit, um, but I, I wish the NDIS would understand just how difficult it is to have a child who needs so much of your time and your energy and your emotions and that's why parents are burning out and if we just gave them more supports parents would be able to go back to being involved at like the the average level so yes I (laughs) I completely understand what you're talking about, and that's it's really heart wrenching when you see the parents just feeling powerless as well.
1: Yeah, because they that, that, oh, like the old age saying is it, it requires a village to to look after a child or raise a child. It, it's very much uh, more prevalent with families that have a, a child with a disability, and. The impacts that it has on that that individual, plus the family and the family's wider networks as well, is quite um, it's quite an impact there. But you were talking earlier around um, your staff and empowering them and training. For staff or for potential employees out there, what sort of are the difference points that you look for when you compare it to a normal support worker or just coming in to do day? Uh, daily supports versus high care supports and those behavioural? What what sort of things should potential employees or people looking to get into more in the high care level, what what do you look for in a, in a staff that you would use with high care participant?
2: This is a very good question. So just having a basic knowledge around a behaviour support plan, it's very important that staff understand why it's in place, why we need to document and be touching base with us regularly um, if something strategies aren't working so then we can bring it up to behavioral therapists and say okay well a couple of instances we've tried this it hasn't worked do you have another strategy that we could put in place or you know even having people that think outside the box is really good as well because if you have those staff that do think outside the box. They can put strategies in place and then we're going back to the behavioural therapist and saying, okay, well, we did try what you suggested we do. Um, it didn't work but we've put this into place and we've put that into place and these seem to be working. And then with high care, I am I love people that ask questions because it, it's not and essentially it's not about, okay, you've got a, a feeding peg certificate you know you'll be amazing because even though you've got that certificate it doesn't mean that you understand the workings of a peg or a catheter or you know warning signs of you know if there's if the peg starts leaking those kind of things that can happen so I find those staff that do think outside the box and do ask questions are amazing because I'm not an organisation that says, okay, you've had three buddy shifts, I'm going to leave you alone, you should know this stuff by now. Like if they don't feel comfortable, I will train them as long as it takes yep. and I will be on shift. And, you know, some staff, they're just not cut out for high high care and that's okay, you know. And, um, some staff are amazing at behaviour support plans but high care, they're not. So it's really having that idea and around staffing and watching your staff and seeing where they excel at
1: i guess it's kind of a bit like that that niche point that we made about providers in general staff should probably look at tailoring what they the area that they're wanting to get into long term for a career in the same sort of manner what do you want to specialize in as a, as a disability support worker um, and then grow that so then you can become the ins and the outs because like uh, i come from a compliance background i talk about it quite a lot but it doesn't necessarily mean i know the intricacies around peg feeding or catheter management because mm. they're very specialized sort of thing. I can think outside the box and build out those plans, but without having that necessary, that same training qualification or long-term experience as well, I don't know, know everything. So I always refer back to experts in those areas or subject matter experts to get that input on and how to write certain policy and procedures to develop that for internal use.
2: Yeah, and it's about being honest too and being honest what you're good at. And it's it's not about, you know, belittling anyone or anything like that. It's just being honest about Mm. what do you feel comfortable doing. And, you know, I do have staff that say to me, Tian, I really don't want to work with children. It's just not something that I'm interested in. Great, thank you for coming to me because you know, staff think that I'm going to be upset or I'm going to be, no, I'd rather you come to me and say, okay, I've tried working with children. It's not what I'm interested in before because it's potentially can upset or damage a child yeah. or damage a participant if our support workers are not feeling a hundred percent confident in what they're doing. So I'd rather our support workers be honest with me mm. and come well, to it me. Does,
1: it does pose a organisational risk or an operational risk to the business if staff aren't necessarily confident or are able to engage the fullest in the assignment or the task or activity that they've got to do. And if they don't feel like they're they're able to do it but also at the same time not able to tell anyone, then that poses a really big risk to the vulnerable people that we're caring for in the long term and can have some unfortunately, devastating effects that some of us have seen and that have come out from the Royal Commission as well recently.
0: Yeah. So what other services do you provide? So we do service a couple of
2: different other areas. Um, We do do STA and respite. We have some beautiful homes. Um, And the reason why this works so well with children is because my families were coming to me and they were saying, Tian, I'm so burnt out. I just need a night. Can you help me with a night? And when my families were coming to me, we at that stage, we didn't have anything. And then I went back to our operational manager and the girls, my admin team, and I said, we need a home. We need somewhere for these, for our kids to come. <laughs> So our families can have a break. So I touched base with a couple of real estates and this one real estate got back to me and it was on an acre, it had an in-ground pool and it had a tennis court. And as soon as I went out there, I was like, oh my God, this place is so perfect. Like it was just so beautiful and I just, it was everything that I could imagine so, then I opened up and I think we opened it up about 6 months ago and our families have been utilizing it. Some some of our participants come in once a month. Some of them come in once every 2 months, but it's just that little break for the family and for our participants as well. And they love it. You know, they get in the pool and they've got the tennis courts and they've got, you know, the basketball hoops and we get we go out there and um but it is a very tailored air space it's not it's not where 50 million people come to stay it's very tailored to our participants and what their conditions are and how much they can cope with and it it does come into really we do have some adults that come and stay um and we obviously don't have children and adults come and stay at the same time um so and then you know we've got participants that can't cope with other participants with them so and that's fine you know we really it's about making each and every one of our participants happy and content with where they're coming as well not about you know okay we've got such and such you know we've got four people booked in they can just all come here and be happy. No, it's, it's, it's more like, um, how can we best suit our participants and are they going to be happy?
1: Yeah, I really love that philosophy. Um, you've grown over the last couple of years quite stably and you, you're coming from when you were, we first met at uh, one of Karen's Connect Fest. You, you've got acquired that STA, you've got a couple other properties, you're growing your business. Business sustainability and viability is a really big or, or hot topic around industry and business owners and stuff how have you found the growth of demands the stress for staffing uh, supports and your overall business growth as well not to sort of jump too quickly or those sort of the, the kind of the, the touch points that around growing your business but in a sustainable way because I think you're managing that sustainability point really really well
2: this is This is extremely important um, because when I first started I had this mindset that I want to help everyone and I want to do it as soon as they need me and I quickly, quickly (laughs) learned that I can't be a superhero to everyone Um, and not everyone has the same... You know, philosophy. They don't have the same morals as what I have um, for my organization, and and that's fine. That's okay. But I also need to be very honest and open with our participants ab- around that. And you know, there is times where I pull back from things because I'm like, okay, this is too much, and I can't, I can't give a hundred percent if I've got fifty thousand things happening and my biggest thing for diva T is quality over quantity yeah that is my biggest thing and if i have to say no to a participant and i'm i it does break my heart to do that because i really do want to help everyone but i also need to be realistic about i'm um, one person and yes i have a team of a team around me and they're amazing but Because I love and I'm so passionate about what I do, I oversee everything. I'm not a director that sits in the background and like, you know, I won't do that. I won't see this. Every house that I've set up, it has a little bit of me in it. It has, you know, it has that compassion. It has that love. It has that choice and control that I want for all our participants. So for me to, you know, take on everyone, it's just not realistic and it's not what I want um and the moment that I start doing that is when I turn out to be an like another organization that a bigger organization that is just taking everyone on and not not suiting their needs
1: that's awesome yeah I really love it and and it shows that you're walking the talk as well with how, like, how you present yourself and social media, how you support stuff, the passion when you're, you're talking now or at Connect Fest or at some of the other networking events.
2: And that's the biggest thing for me too is like I don't want to sit here and talk bullshit to people. I really don't. Yeah. Like if I'm saying I can do something, I know I can do it. But if I'm taking on everyone that walks in my door and I'm sitting there and telling you that I can do it, I'd be lying to you and I'm not, I'm not born that, I wasn't born that way. I'm not going to talk shit to you. I'm not going to promise you the world. And you'd be like, in six months time, you promised me this, you haven't done that. Yeah. Because then I am like every other organization.
1: And there, unfortunately, are quite a lot out there that, that go, yep, yeah, we can deliver, but Say we can deliver both, or they actually understand what the delivery deliverables actually are.
0: Yeah, one of the things I loved you shared on social media during Book Week of um, one of your young participants on STA, oh, this and is so cute. you'd dressed him up, and he's in his wheelchair, and you know, got the biggest smile on his face. Um, I just. I loved that so much. And I love that you were like, no, it's book week. We're dressing you up. (laughs) It was so good.
2: When the kids come in for STA, I treat them like they're my own. So, you know, it was book week. And like when he has discos and stuff and if he comes into respite, I take him to those. Like he's at the end of the day, take away his disability, he's still a child. He still deserves to have all those things that we do with all our other kids. And I love that. Like I love being able to give that to him. You know, like, and he was just so happy and he looked so cute and I couldn't (laughs) stop telling him how cute he looked and he's like, stop it. He would give me this look like, stop it. (laughs) Um, The
1: ego boost was definitely prevalent in the photo. (laughs) Yes, he
2: loved it. He absolutely loved it. But it's just like little things like that that, you know, big organisations don't do. And it, it took me, I was getting him dressed anyways. It took me literally two minutes to dress him up. So it's like, it's not that, and it made such a difference to him. That's what I'm about. Like those little things that probably don't mean anything to anyone else. But that morning and when I got him dressed up and just that smile, that two minutes that it took me to get him dressed made everything worth it.
1: The enjoyment and his appreciation for that was in every (laughs) inch of his smile on his face. Yeah, it was great
0: yeah so quickly, before we do the last question, um I just want to check what areas you have supports. um so
2: at the moment, we have support in all of Brisbane, um Rockhampton, Cairns, and we are just about to open up in Casino in which is a small country town in New South Wales.
1: Just good sustainable growth.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we're trying to take it s- slow and steady, and making sure that our participants have the top level
1: of care.
0: Awesome.
1: So, our last question, which uh, Hannah absolutely loves, everyone's varying responses.
0: Well, because it's always cool. Because it is. It is. There are some
1: great, great, great responses. Has
0: had a different answer, and it's so exciting. So. In your ideal world, what would the future of the NDIS look like?
2: Ooh, this is very interesting and one I haven't really thought about. Bom, 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 bom. <laughs> <laughs> I think the biggest thing that I think NDIS is amazing and it has changed so many of our participants' lives. I just wish that the process and the people that were determining the outcomes had more experience in living with somebody with a disability or not even living with somebody but just having a general understanding of the needs, of what it takes to care for somebody, what it takes to care for our children and my biggest thing is like if they could just spend a day in our parents' shoes, I think the way they throw parental responsibility would dramatically change, would dramatically. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, I think there is flaws and I think, you know, Bill Shorten didn't didn't think that it was going to get as big as it is um, or there wasn't, there wasn't going to be as many people that there is. But I really, and this is what happens with big organisations, people get left out, they get forgotten. Um, you know, there's just so much work to be done. But, yeah, I just feel if our planners had more experience, um, more Or understanding, more training.
0: Yeah. Like realistically if they had better training, we'd have better and more consistent outcomes because even that like you said I absolutely love the NDIS too it's awesome but that's also why I'm here to help it get better you know because I love it and because I know the difference that it makes and yes I'm with you if Planners and LACs just had more training and better understandings of disabilities, and better understanding of the NDIS. <laughs> that would be delightful. Yeah,
2: it just makes such a difference. It really would, and, and
1: sprinkle some empathy, more empathy on top <laughs> yeah. of both of those. Yeah, a great answer there. We got another one. Yes, that's <laughs> awesome. Why I love it. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Tina, for coming along. It's been great having you and great listening to your story and your thoughts around staffing and supports and kaya care needs.
2: Thank you for having me. It was lovely.
0: Yes. Until next time. Bye. <sighs> Thank you for listening. Please share with people you know. Until next time, as the Green Brothers say, don't forget to be awesome.